We never succeed on our own. And definitely nothing that we do here at the Chamber of Commerce is due to my success or my vision or my anything. It's everything is is achieved together. And I think for me, it's a privilege and an honor to lead, especially in a community that I grew up in. But it's also a duty to make sure that we do things carefully and that we take care of the natural environment that, that we've been given. Welcome to the Performance Mindset Podcast, and I'm your host, Amy Calandrino, CEO of Beyond Commercial. After a decade of providing expert commercial real estate advice and consultation to the business owners and investors I serve, I wanted to share some of the most inspiring and influential leaders I've met along the way. The goal of this podcast is to share valuable insights from these impactful individuals, as well as business and commercial real estate trends. If you want to grow, you're tuning in to the right show. Today, I'm excited to have Betsy Gardner-Eckbert as a guest on the Performance Mindset Show. Betsy Gardner-Eckbert has been the president CEO at the Winter Park Chamber of Commerce since 2007. Her background includes being a pharmaceutical sales superstar, an executive at a UK-based consulting firm that mentors executive women, and was also a co-founder of a company that markets UV protective swimwear for kids worldwide. When she took over for the Winter Park Chamber of Commerce, she was able to incorporate her previous experience as a sales professional and international entrepreneur. Within two years of her tenure, the chamber earned the National Most Innovative Chamber of Commerce Award through many successful initiatives, such as the relaunch program, which added more than 100 women back into the Central Florida workforce. I met Betsy when she assumed the helm of the chamber and have been fortunate to see her in action during my leadership roles within the organization. Betsy, through the rebrand and realignment of the chamber, has certainly set it up for another century of success. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. So growing up in Winter Park, What's been the most rewarding part of being able to return to town and lead its chamber now approaching its 100-year anniversary? Well, I think being able to root it into its past, but also get it ready for its future, right? So Winter Park is really, really linked to this rich history. We know uh, the chamber itself is celebrating its 100th year next year. So Winter Park has been a big deal, even really before Orlando was a big deal. So, you know, understanding and cherishing that history, but also positioning it so that it remains a competitive choice for where people spend time, talent, and treasure within the realm of Central Florida is really my passion, making sure that we honor both of those things as we plan for our future and navigate. Obviously, like everybody, we've had to navigate challenges with respect to COVID. And so been able to leverage that kind of institutional knowledge, respecting our past, but making sure that we're doing smart things to keep our future strong as well. Were there any particular past leaders of the organization that you were able to rely upon in in helping to look past that and find that anchor to propel you forward? Yeah, my the, the biggest one that I looked to was my mother, who's deceased, but I watched as she helped bring this building into existence back in the mid 2000s. And 
I think 2007, she chaired the building committee and actually helped create the financial resources to make sure that the chamber had a sustainable physical home in perpetuity. That was not something that the chamber had in a secure way going into that time. And I watched my mom navigate all the multiple stakeholders, the city government relationships, the relationship with the board, with past chairs, all of those elements that go into being successful here. I watched her do that. So I've been very fortunate to have my mom's sort of playbook in my top drawer, so to speak. So yes, of course. That's amazing. And you're talking about the chamber having this place to come to and operate business. For those that are in Winter Park, do you want to talk a bit more about your headquarters? Yeah, I think one of the things that Chambers of Commerce do well and should do well is welcome visitors to our community. So the Chamber of Commerce's home is technically the Winter Park Welcome Center. And we welcome people from all over the world. We welcome people who are in town for weddings or family reunions, high school reunions, et cetera. And we welcome everyday guests, people who've come here. Our our top three countries of visitation are Brazil, the United Kingdom, and Canada. So we routinely welcome people from other countries, other parts of the country. And, you know, the Winter Park Welcome Center is situated just across City Hall, a little bit on the west side of the the block on Lyman Avenue, just between the Farmer's Market and City Hall. So it's part of the central business community. And it's really a beautiful building with lots of space to convene our community to do programs and events leadership development, board meetings, run the operations of the chamber out of here. And it's been a huge tool for being able to do the core mission of our work. And you must be delighted to be back in there over the last, how long have you been back in? About 18 months? We went back in in the fall of 2020. So we were one of the first people to be out completely because we wanted to role model safety practice for our business community. But I think you know, people really missed being with each other. We have a really close-knit staff. We missed being with our board, with our members. You know, we really missed that. So people ended up coming, trickling back in to work. So we've been back here together since the fall of 2020. That's awesome. And you have you noticed the energy kind of come back even more? I mean, I know you, did, you guys have done really well during COVID, but did you feel a difference once you were all able to be back physically together? Yeah, people came back to events with a vengeance. We saw, you know, with the exception of this summer, we've set records for all of our events with respect to attendance. I think everybody was just in Europe this summer, but with respect to everything else besides this summer since COVID was, you know, really behind us, we've had tremendous record setting attendance for our events, which is really gratifying to see. It, it is amazing. I've been to, to many of those events and, and they're always really well put on. Around the time you became the CEO of the chamber, there was a lot of discussion and, and other chambers have had you know, difficulty, as, as some folks may argue that it's not relevant. Talk about your rebrand and realignment that the chamber went through and how your team works to remain you know, nimble and innovative and keep your chamber really relevant. Yeah, we're completely focused on what we call closing the relevancy gap for our chamber. And I think there was a golden era for chambers when there wasn't Facebook and there wasn't LinkedIn and there wasn't, you know, prescriptive networking groups and there wasn't meetup and there wasn't e-newsletters. 
And the chamber was really a king-making organization in communities. And it was very much like Kiwanis clubs, JC clubs, Rotary clubs, places of worship, country clubs. People relied on the chamber to make things happen for them, to make the introductions, to make the business opportunities happen because there wasn't really anything else to rely on. Well, now we recognize that people have choices and they have quite a lot of digital choices about how they meet people, how they network, how they get their brand out there. And so we have to recognize that people do have choices. The chamber isn't the only game in town. It isn't the only way to grow your business. It's one of many ways. So we have to make sure that we are competitive with all these other ways. We think that we're additive to the other things that people are doing with their brands. But we know that a chamber membership can confer a sense of credibility on a business. We can, we know that that membership can also help people meet people really quickly, especially if they're new entrant to the community. So that kind of sense of gravitas and stewardship and positioning in the community is something that a third party can and should offer a business in a way that they can't do for themselves. And so we always at our staff meetings talk about what is it that if we didn't exist, wouldn't get done? And so we know that through LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and other vehicles, people are going to get information about things that are going on. But where is that one-two punch of in the real life version that goes also with a digital prescription as well. And we were doing a fine job of the the real life kind of piece, but we weren't doing anything to back it up digitally. So now we put into place a robust communication system, a social media network, a a really robust e-newsletter audience. And then we've got search engine optimization that we offer through our directory listing, our online directory listing, all of which create value that's measurable in and of themselves. And so we're thrilled to offer kind of both of those. It's an and instead of an or. And I think we do have to recognize that the chamber has a leadership role to play in the community, but we're not the only ones. We need to work and play well with others as well. So I think those are some of the key changes. You talked a little bit about the the e-newsletter, and I've heard from, from being a part of the organization just how much your audience list has grown, as well as the readership percentages, and also the newsletter was a lifeline for people during COVID. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, our e-newsletter is five-fold the size it was when I got here. Our online traffic is five-fold the size it was when I got here. And our social media is about six-fold the size it was than when I got here. So every time we grow our audience and allow our members to engage with that audience as part of their membership without an extra cost, that just drives value. And so what we want to be able to do is demonstrate the value of a chamber membership to our members, just like everybody else wants to be measuring ROI in their business. We need to be doing that too. And then demonstrating that back to our members. So this communications network is really interesting insofar as it is much bigger, but it's stayed hyper-local. So, you know, I think people need to think about 
their news media in two realms. You know, there's the global piece where we're all connected and we can see how what's going on in Ukraine is affecting us now. But then I think there's also the hyper local piece. And I think that during COVID, we became a media company. We, you know, started webinars every day and we had a newsletter every day and we just became a hyper local media company, especially with so many legacy media outlets kind of pulling out of the market because they can't find ways to be profitable. We're baking it into our model to make sure that it's a demonstrable piece of, of investment return that we can measure for our members. And it, and it was so valuable. I think when we we're in such uncertain times, having that certainty of a way to connect and get information or or, or hear from other business owners, at least for me as a small business owner, what was so crucial. So you and your team did an amazing job at that. Well, I appreciate you recognizing them because we are grateful to have two former newspaper people on our media team, and they were able to keep up with the cadence of publishing a newsletter every day, which if you haven't done is exhausting and requires an awful lot of editing and fact checking and making sure things are done properly. And they just did a tremendous job with that during COVID. Yeah, I think that probably having a little bit more time in in between things is is welcome at this point and being able to do other things. Speaking of your team, you've achieved a 90% satisfaction score on employee engagement. What are some of the creative things you do to develop a likable company culture? Well, I think for me, where I sit as leader, I focus on three things. I focus on strategy, I focus on culture, and I focus on talent. And I think it's really important for my part to create a culture of accountability. I've hired people who enjoy being accountable and they know that we measure things here. And when we measure things, they end up looking great because they're high performers. So we hired high performers. We hired people who like to be facing the community. They really care about that kind of double bottom line benefit of doing well for our community and doing well for our businesses. But I think for me, making sure that they know that they can fail is really, really important. And I think when we are creating an innovative culture, we have to remove the barriers to to perfectionism, right? So perfectionism is something that holds us back from innovation. And if we're not willing to do something messy, we're not going to be able to innovate. So the very first day of COVID, I remember it like it was yesterday, it was March 16th. And we were sitting in a staff meeting at 10 o'clock in the morning. And I said, people need to understand how to optimize their restaurant curbside right now. Who's doing that well? And somebody said, oh, 60 Vines is doing it. They're putting two rolls of toilet paper in every bag and they're selling their meats that have been coming in off their truck. And so I I texted my sister-in-law and said, who's the 60 Vines manager? She texted me back. I texted her in the staff meeting and said, hey, can you jump on a webinar at four o'clock and talk about what you guys have done to optimize curbside service. She said, yes. So I said to our team, in six hours time, we're going to be having a webinar on how to optimize curbside service for restaurants. And they all looked at me like, you got to be kidding me. We've never done a webinar before. And I said, well, I know that. And if only two people jump on the webinar, that'll be okay. We're going to learn how to do webinars by guess what? Doing webinars. So we did this webinar and I remember saying to the team, it can be messy. It can be broken. We can have all kinds of technical problems. The important thing is that we start. 
And we had 45 people who attended that first webinar. We surveyed them and people said, this was amazing and we'd like more of this. So we ended up doing a webinar every day for three months. And that was part of us becoming a media company. But it was also mission aligned for us to live out our mission of bringing people together for our businesses and our community which we were then able to do virtually. Well, had we not had a failure tolerance, we would not have been able to get that first webinar out. And it was the first webinar that enabled us to do all the subsequent webinars. And likewise, we teach a a workforce development program called Relaunch here. And everyone came to me and said, well, what are we going to do about relaunch? I said, well, we're going to do it, but we're going to offer it for free because we don't know what we're doing. We've never done it online before, and we're not going to charge people to be our test bunnies here. So we put relaunch out as a beta test and a virtual platform. We had 27 women sign up for it, and it ended up helping us sustain our presence in the market is one of the choices people have for talent development and workforce development. So we were able to maintain that presence and we ended up monetizing it in other ways. So just being willing to say, it's okay if this first one is a a mess. And I will tell you in my team, it is never a mess because they're so good at what they do. (laughs) But even though I tell them it can be a mess, it never is. So I think it's really important though to make it clear to your team that they can fail and failure tolerance has to be there for the innovation to take place. So I think that's a really big part of it. I think from my role, they know that I'm going to protect them, that I'm always going to stand by them. I'm never going to allow a member of the public to bully them or mistreat them. That kind of stuff, you know, it comes to me. And I think that that's not why people work here is for people to be nasty to them. Now, that doesn't happen very often, but sometimes it does. And that's just not something for that they should have to deal with. As their leader, I want to make sure that they're respected, that they feel that they're in a dynamic process in their career. And then when new people join us, I go to lunch with new people, even if they're very young, and say, what does success look like for you in your career? And how can we p- be part of helping you get there? So we know that people are probably not going to retire here from the the Chamber of Commerce. And so we want to understand how can we best dial up the skill delivery and development that you need to acquire to get to the next place? How can we help position you favorably for the next stop on your career path? And we're very intentional about that. So I think people feel like it's okay to be them here and it's definitely okay to fail. And I think that's how we innovate. So you've created this this talent development, you know, process. So and so that way you are able to tap into new energy, new ideas, and that has to be a huge part of the success that you've had. I think so. Yeah, that 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 is great. And I like too hearing about the failure tolerance. I mean, that was a huge reason why I launched this this podcast. Is you know, I've seen many of the business owners I've worked with go through periods in their their business where they, they reach these walls and they just find a way to get over, under, and keep going through. And I think showing that to your employees can be so, so valuable. Well, we like to remind them that the enemy of perfect is done. So sometimes we just focus on doing it for the first time because we do innovate a lot. We're definitely blazing trails all the time. And I don't think you end up with the recognition that this team has gotten without doing that, but you've got to be willing to get the first one out as messy. And if you look at companies like Apple, you know, they know 
that there are bugs in every iPhone release that they do. And if you look at about two days after an iPhone has been released, they'll send out an update because they know that the phone is, has got problems in it, but they just want to get that minimum viable product out. And then they'll receive the post-marketing um, in- feedback and they'll be able to make the appropriate modifications after it's been scaled out from release. And so we were just trying to get a minimum viable product out to make sure that it was, especially in COVID, something that our community really needed. And we worried about the details of making it perfect later or not at all. So we just wanted to get get that out. And I think that's hard for us as a team because we are sort of driven to perfect. And so it's a, it's sometimes a struggle, but we I think it's the key to being innovative. And I see too, just being able to get something out, you've been able to refine it, build upon it. You know, when you started to have the return back to the chamber, you were able to do hybrid events, which not really other people were were doing. So just getting it done was great to do. Back when I went through Leadership Winter Park, one of the favorite questions we'd always ask our guest panelists would be, what does leadership mean to you? In honor of my class 26 alumni, I pose that same question to you. So for me, it's really about stewardship of the people that have been trusted in my care. And so if people are going to trust me to lead them, they also need to trust me to take care of them and put their best interests first. We never succeed on our own. And definitely nothing that we do here at the Chamber of Commerce is due to my success or my vision or my anything. It's everything is is achieved together. And I think for me, it's a privilege and an honor to lead, especially in a community that I grew up in. But it's also a duty to make sure that we do things carefully and that we take care of the natural environment that, that we've been given, that we remember that that prosperity hasn't been extended to everyone in this community or the opportunity to prosper hasn't historically been there for everyone, that we bring people along and that we do things well so that our community rises and not just a few people rise, but that everyone rises. And so I want at all times our staff to feel inspired and supported and motivated and respected But I also want all of our stakeholders to feel that there's been value attached to the time and money that they invest in our organization. And I want to leave this city better than I found it. So that means with respect to our policies, our procedures, our processes, our land use decisions, the way we care for our planet, the way we use our resources as a city, these are all things that are important to me. I've seen the chamber be intentional in being being a part of that in Leadership Winter Park. You guys, especially through the COVID, giving extra scholarships to help those in need, as well as just, just so many other initiatives that not everyone knows about. And I think that's so important. Since you've been able to work with so many businesses, are there any particular piece of advice that you would give to a, an aspiring entrepreneur or you know, specifically even a woman entrepreneur? Well, I do still think, unfortunately, women have to work faster, smarter, and harder than men do. But I do think there's many more opportunities. I think my challenge would be to other women business leaders is to make sure that the drawbridge is always down. I think there in the past, there were very scarce models for women leaders in business. And so there were some women 
that would go over to the castle of scarcity and make sure that the drawbridge was up and no other women could get across because there just weren't enough seats at the table. I think it's really important for us to be building bigger and bigger tables and that there we have an abundance model instead of a scarcity model. So we need to make sure that the drawbridge is down and that we're bringing other women along all the time. I think that's really critical. I think we need to be auditing for Do our boards have gender balance on them? Do our boards have diverse representation on them? Are we with intention making sure that everyone can be part of what we're doing to the degree that we're able? So I think that's really, really important. And I think diverse practices are good business because you can reach more customers if you think more like all of your customers, not just some of them. So I think that's a really important piece. And then I think being able to stay focused I think is really important to understand what's on brand for you and what's off brand for you and to be able to say no over and over and over again to things that are off brand for you, things that are going to dilute um, your value proposition or pull you off mission are things you shouldn't have anything to do with. And it's really hard to say no, especially when people are constantly asking for your time or for you to come speak or do this or that. And we really have to think about, is this mission aligned for my organization? Is this going to um, tell our story stronger and better? Or is this going to dilute people's understanding of what it is that we do? You know, it probably feels pedantic, but every single time we have a meeting here, we start the meeting with a recitation of what our mission is. And our goal is that our members would be able to recite it back to us. It's to convene people and ideas for the benefit of our businesses and our community And, you know, we really want to make sure that we have clarity of purpose all the time about what it is we do, but more importantly, what it is we don't do, because those are the things that steal resources, time and attention that we need to keep getting better and better at what it is that we do do. And so I think that would be one of the things I would recommend. Again, I'm going to use an Apple example. You know, the key to everything that happened at Apple under Steve Jobs was about focus. They could have gotten into lots and lots of other things, but they never would have drilled down and become the absolutely transformational company that we know it to be. And you see all the value that's been generated and accrued in accordance with that that serious sense of focus. So that would be for me, my top tip is to stay focused. That is wise. I have, over my journey as an entrepreneur, struggled at times with that. But keeping that focus and that sense of purpose can be so key. And so I really appreciate you sharing that. The Chamber of Commerce was not your only role. I talked a little bit about in your intro, but would you like to talk more about your experience in the business world before this? Well, yeah. So I started my career in pharmaceutical sales and marketing, and I ended up spending eight years doing that, leaving the workforce to press pause on my career to raise a family. For 13 years, I did that. And then when I lived in London, England, I went back to work doing business development for a consulting firm that consulted England's top companies on their talent development strategy for their senior and executive women. So going to a like British telecom and saying, all right, who are your high performing, high talent, high potential women 
that can move forward into your senior and executive talent pool, but haven't been exposed to the things that their male counterparts have or to senior male, what they've been doing, how can we get them ready to go? And so we provided bespoke mentoring solutions and consulting services to help those companies get their senior and executive women ready to be in global roles. And so I was thrilled to work with the British government, members of the House of Lords, the Secretary of State on creating some targets and making sure that our corporate citizens were making effective and earnest strides toward reaching those targets because there was a will to govern themselves as a business community instead of having the EU govern them with respect to that. And so that was really rewarding work. And then as a natural consequence of being an engaged mom at my children's school, I volunteered and met two other women who watched me sell tickets to the school fair and said they'd never seen anybody sell anything like that and asked me to help them launch this concept for UV protective swimwear for tweens, which is kind of kids eight to about 12. And so we launched a swimwear line in London in 2013. And we were fortunate enough to get into Harrods, the iconic department store. And from there, we experienced rapid global growth, including into 14 countries. And we were actually a registered vendor with Disney. And we marketed globally with the Four Seasons Resorts. And just had a really, really fun ride doing that. My personal focus on my family required me to sell my shares in that company and stay focused here in Winter Park when I moved back. But it was a really fun time to build a business with nothing. And that's where I learned how effective a platform like LinkedIn can be for helping people scale their businesses and create new market channel opportunities. That's also where I learned about the choices people have with respect to using their Chamber of Commerce, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, other platforms. So I've been very privileged to have a global career. I'm very globally focused, so I love doing hyperlocal work and especially link, link, linking it to the greater sort of global, you know, ground truth of what's happening out there in the world. There are opportunities for all of us that exist with respect to that. I think that there's so much interconnectivity between Winter Park and globally, and you had mentioned the most visitors come from Brazil, UK, and Canada. Mm-hmm. And if you look up, you want to spend 36 hours in Orlando. I would say probably 75% of the article is about Winter Park. So right. I have a lot of listeners who aren't from around here. So if you do come to see me in Orlando, you're going to learn that really Winter Park is the place to be. Not that I don't like Orlando, but the, there's there's so much to, to do here. And you'll have to stop by the Chamber of Commerce. Yes, please. <laughs> what is your idea of success for you? I, I know you asked though. You ask that of your team, uh, but what about for yourself personally? So for me, it's about force multiplication. How does success happen for me at the same time as those around me? I don't really want to achieve anything in a vacuum. I really like broad prosperity models where my team moves forward, where our young people are now focused on what they want to do in grad school, even when they leave us, um, on making sure that We have many women that came back to work after being stay-at-home moms on our staff that have a new identity within themselves they feel really proud of. So bringing along 
other people with me is part of my success metric. I think being able to have a work-life balance is also part of that. I mean, that I have a vision of the kind of parent I want to be and the role I'm in has enabled me to do that. So that for me is success. It isn't just having, you know, financial success or ambition or a high profile or, you know, those kinds of things that people think are obvious. But for me, it's really about being able to live the kind of life I want to live and then making sure the people I care about prosper all around me as well. Being able to be very intentional with your family and also your role and and have that work-life balance, it can be so important to having ongoing success. How how do you handle maintaining that? Because I know it is important to you. So I've learned (laughs) that Microsoft Office is my friend. My calendar is my friend. And, you know, for a long time in this role, I would walk my dog at night, but I didn't make any time to go to the gym because I just, quote, didn't have the time. And now on every Sunday night, I book in my fitness classes. I try to go to four a week. I book them in. I work everything else kind of around that. So if I've got a late event, I'll go to a fitness class in the morning. If I've got, you know, if I I normally go to ones at night, but if I've got a late event at night, I'll make sure I go. So it's really about putting the things that matter to you on the calendar and making sure that, and I will do whatever's on my calendar. So if it's my daughter's pep rally, if it's my, you know, my fitness class, if it's my time with my mentors, I calendar it to make sure that it happens. And I would say it's it's not sexy and it's not spontaneous way to live, but it's how I make sure that the things that I care about get done. I was told that a long time ago by my golf coach. He says the most uh, accomplished people, they, they put it on their calendar. Otherwise, it's just never ever going to happen. So we've been chatting for a while. I want to ask you just a couple more questions. You you mentioned your mentors. Are there any in particular that that you most rely upon or or speak to? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's kind of weird to say because my mother's deceased, but I, I, she had a list of rules for living that I'm actually writing into a book. And I use her rules for living and work every single day. So I'd say she is my most dramatic and and influential mentor, but of course she's not with us. So I have to rely on my memory there. But I've been fortunate to have a woman named Lori Platt Hall as a mentor. She is retired and looks back on her career with a lot of teachable moments for me. I trust her wisdom. I trust the fact that she was a trailblazing female business leader. And I think she's really direct and frank with me in a way that I need. And I value that so much. I've also been really fortunate that John Karen, who's the former CEO of Olive Garden, has uh, been generous with mentoring me. And that would be more in sort of how to think about leading businesses. And so those are two key mentors for me as I think about how to lead a business, how to lead a community, how to be a woman in leadership, and how to be a change maker. So those are really important people in my life that help me with my mentoring stuff. And you said that you're going to be writing a book. Can you share with us just maybe one of the rules that will be in the book? Yeah. So my mom, I hated this one. So I th- there's going to be, I think there's going to be 15 rules and I'm I'm working chapter by chapter on each of the rules. So I'm, I've started the book already, but the worst one that my mom had growing up, I hated it so much, but it's absolutely the most important one. And it's that you make your own bad times. 
And I used to go to her and say, oh, my brother's so terrible. He's messed up my room. He's taken my toy. And she would say, well, you make your own bad times. And I was like, no, mom, clearly my brother's made my bad times here. And what she was teaching us is that we're responsible for the direction of our lives. We're responsible for the outcome. We're responsible for moving the aircraft carrier in another direction, which is a really hard thing to do to turn an aircraft carrier. And sometimes turning your life around can be really, really difficult. And I've actually had to do that at midlife. So I was so grateful for that point of view that no matter what somebody's done to you, it's still on you to take care of the result and moving forward. So I think understanding that even if you're, you know, I read this beautiful story about the Verdi Requiem being performed in a concentration camp. It was performed 16 times in the Ravensbrück concentration camp. And that's really the human spirit triumphing over evil in a way that gave those people power and agency over what was being done to them. So they had no power. They were imprisoned. And yet their human spirits were triumphing over their condition. I think that's a wonderful example of of that. And my mom taught me that over and over and over again. And believe me, I did not like the early recitations of that lesson, but I I really appreciate it now. I think that that has then stemmed into your chamber leadership and other leadership within within other organizations by showing other people the accountabilities. If you don't make your numbers at the end of the day, you know, you have control over how things transpire. I, I think that's so profound. Is there anything else you would like to share today? I know we've been chatting for a while. (laughs) No, I appreciate spending time with you. I've always been impressed with your focus and your determination. I certainly think you understand that you make your own bad times and that you make your own good times. And you've done an amazing job of creating a broad prosperity model for other people to share in. So I'm always grateful for your partnership, Amy. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I try to play the tape. So I think of some of the top like athletes at the end of the day, if something doesn't actually go the way I wanted it to go, then what replaying it, what could have gone differently that I could have changed the trajectory of how it could have happened, or maybe it was unavoidable, or I can batten the hatches better. So things go better the next time. So well, I think you're a continuous improver. And that's really, really impressive. Thank you. Thank you. So if anyone wants to get a hold of you, what's the what's the best way for them to connect with you? LinkedIn or? Uh, yeah, they can link in with me or you can log on to winterpark.org under our about us section. You'll find the staff section and my email is the very top one as you pull up our staff. Or I'd love to have you link in with me, Betsy gardner Eckberg. Great, great. Well, thank you again for, for being here. And for those of you listening, please do subscribe and share so that others can hear this podcast. Thanks, Amy. Appreciate the time.